Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. of day once again everyone this is americans watching the footy this is episode 53 this is our round 22 preview i am ethan castle i am benjamin castle i'm here in south san francisco california where are you today ethan i am in albuquerque new mexico where the towels are oh so fluffy I have a feeling Weird Al does not have the cultural relevance in australia as he does in america i think we've mentioned him in here before i hope Enough Australians know him to appreciate the reference, even though it's from one of his more recent cuts. I will find out tomorrow if anyone on the street will gladly shave my back for a nickel and if the Shriners and Lepers do, in fact, play their ukuleles all day long. But I was thinking, if you asked Australians to name, like, as many American states as they could, New Mexico would probably be in the bottom ten and it would probably be even lower than that if not for Breaking Bad. New Mexico, along with... Some of the smaller eastern ones, like maybe Vermont, Delaware. New Hampshire. I feel like they'd know Rhode Island for some reason. Family Guy would probably help. Yeah, that's a possibility. Because of their love for The Simpsons, I imagine they would know Ohio, Nevada, Maine, and Kentucky. Before we get into our round 22 previews, we've got some news to go into. Benjamin, where do you want to start with this? We can take this in a few different directions because we've got... Trade news, we've got retirements, we've got suspensions. Where are we starting off? I want to start with a couple pieces of news surrounding Collingwood in terms of trade talks. We've talked about Jordan Degoe a number of times this season, whether it relates to his on-field product or the news that he's generated off-field, and whether the stories that developed around it and the attention that came to him was warranted or not. Sounds like he may be staying at Collingwood. There have been rumors for a while that he would be linked to St. Kilda or Geelong in the offseason, but recent reports suggest that he's been offered a contract which would set some strict behavioral guidelines, but Frank McRae has been on the record praising Dugowie at least for his on-field product. He was excellent against Port Adelaide. He did all right for himself this past round as well, working through a crowded Melbourne midfield. We've never denied his pure ability as a footballer. At one point, I remember Essendon was considered a likely landing spot for him, but obviously that ship sailed. It really does seem like he is going to stay. On the other hand, Brody Grundy, who, as you may know, is out for the year now because of an ankle injury that required surgery, has been linked to Melbourne. In fact, has been linked so closely that apparently he's been having discussions with Simon Goodwin, Max Gone, and others. So he may already have one foot out the door. And in turn, associated with that, sounds like Melbourne really does think Luke Jackson will be at Fremantle next year. I had a feeling that this ruck carousel could get really interesting this offseason. Between Jackson and Grundy starting things off, we expected that 
those two would be on the move from the beginning. With Dugowie's contract news coming in, it makes even more of a case for Grundy to be shipped off to make sure there's enough space there. And also the emergence of Darcy Cameron this year and the extension that he's been given certainly did Grundy no favors there. Another reason why the Ruck Carousel could get interesting is because Ben Big Boy McAvoy has announced that he will be retiring at season's end. I really grew to appreciate him this year. I know I'm supposed to consider Hawthorne a rival. I just think he's one tough son of a bitch and have a ton of respect for him. Also, Big Boy McAvoy is just a top quality nickname. Hawthorne did trot out a number of different players in the Ruck spot this year. Ned Reeves came along somewhat nicely. Max Lynch definitely has some room where he needs to grow, not physically, but strategically in those contests. Jacob Kaczynski did some spot work there, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see them swinging for a veteran presence at that spot. Lloyd Meek. If you can't tell, we really, really like Lloyd Meek. And I had always been thinking that Melbourne should be targeting him as part of the return package for Luke Jackson. Rundy being in the mix for the red and the blue now makes things even more interesting. I just hope Meek is able to get some opportunity full-time in the top flight next year. He kicked Jalon's ass earlier this year in a spot where I thought, all right, Darcy's out, the Cavs have an advantage. Him and Blake Akers were really the reasons the Dockers won that game, looking back at it. Although Nathan O'Driscoll was pretty damn good, too. The other retirement that came to people's attention since we recorded our last episode on Sunday night in the United States, Monday afternoon in Australia, is that Josh P. Kennedy of the Sydney Swans is retiring. So both Josh's Kennedy will be out the door. Just a week ago, there were two. Now all of a sudden, there won't be any. Kennedy has had a really rough go with injuries these past couple of years. Injuries to both hamstrings this year have derailed his season, and I wouldn't be shocked if he has already made his last appearance. I enjoyed the Eagles tweeting out hashtags instead of just TYJK, TYJPK, and TYJJK. I thought that was good. I hope the Callum Browns, or Callum's Brown, as you might say, sync up their retirements when that day comes. I don't know if I've mentioned before, but the best American version of this would have to be either the billion basketball players with various J first names and last name Jackson, whether it's Justin, Josh, Jaron, you name it, or the three Luis Garcias in Major League Baseball right now. And there's a fourth on the way, though he's probably a couple years away working his way through the minor leagues. At one time, there were two pitchers named Johan Santana in Major League Baseball, but one of them went by Irvin instead. For one beautiful week in the 2020 season, the Miami Marlins had two pitchers named Josh Smith, and at one point, one of them actually was brought in to relieve the other. As for actual footy stuff and names that won't be so confusing, we have news from the Tribunal, both significant suspensions that were handed out after round 21 have been upheld, Tim Kelly, one game, Patrick Cripps, two games. I've been on record saying that I think Cripps is getting really unfairly treated here. I think it's ridiculous. I think at most it should be one game. I do think, though, this helps create more drama because it lessens the chances of Carlton beating Melbourne and increases the importance, in turn, of Collingwood Carlton in round 23. So I will shamelessly be cheering for Melbourne this round, not just because Grand Old Flag is so much better than we are the Navy Blues, but also because... I want Collingwood Carlton peak drama in round 23. 
So in order for that to happen, we need Blues loss, Bulldogs win. Let's make it happen. I expected Crips to be suspended for at least one game after the tribunal. I understand why he's suspended for two from the letter of the law. I just don't think the spirit of it is as strong. It was a weird one because when I watched it in real time, I didn't think much of it. Then I went back and watched it again. When you watch it at full speed, you can see something there. But then you slow it down. And it's like, oh, he's really trying to just make a play for the ball. So that's why I think it should have been one game at most. Really watched it and reviewed it thoroughly. And just I do not agree with the league on this one at all. I think the fact that he chose to jump and that he entered late are major factors, as well as the fact that the principal contact was with the head. But we've been on the record of not being in favor of the AFL's Hammurabi approach, as we call it. In fact, I think we titled one of our episodes, This Isn't Hammurabi's Code. If we're talking ancient Mesopotamian stuff, I'd much rather talk about Nebuchadnezzar because he shares his name with the largest container of wine that can legally be considered a bottle instead of a vat. A Nebuchadnezzar is a 15-liter bottle, so it's around 100 glasses. Hopefully you've got a nice Nebuchadnezzar with you right now because I think it's a classy way to drink, and I think this is a very classy podcast, and I think round 22 is going to be a classy round. I don't think of footy as a classy sport, but maybe I'll be proven wrong. We both were on the record after round 13 that we were really looking forward to the rematch between St. Kilda and the Brisbane Lions, and it arrives Friday night, 7.50 p.m. Australian Eastern Time, so that's 5.50 a.m. Eastern, 2.50 a.m. Pacific for Americans who can watch it on Fox Sports 2. The Saints enter at 11 and 9. They are just two points outside the top eight, but their percentage is pitiful for the position they're in, 101.1. While the Lions are in fifth, we thought they were in a really good spot in terms of percentage a couple weeks ago. Now with that surprise loss to Richmond shaking things up, all of a sudden they are the lowest of the teams on 56 points. It's pretty narrow though, so things could definitely shift there. But back in round 13, it was a good back and forth game until injuries piled up starting around halftime for the Saints, and it was really accentuated in the third quarter. They ended up being two rotations down by game's end, and the Lions came away with a 21-point win. St. Kilda will be going into this game, of course, with 22 men plus the injury sub, but they've been pretty ravaged by injuries nonetheless. Jack Billings still a week away. Jade Gresham done for the year. Patty Ryder done unless they somehow make it into the finals, which is highly unlikely. In order to do that, they either need to beat both the Lions and Swans or win one and have Richmond lose to both Hawthorne and Essendon. So I've kind of been counting the Saints out for a while just from a percentage standpoint and not being able to maintain that big league against Hawthorne really took them to the point of no return. It does seem like there's a chance Dan Hanbury gets in this game. He was subbed out last week with an ankle injury. And Daniel McKenzie may be available as he works his way back from a calf injury. The Lions have largely managed to steer clear of major injuries the past couple months, but they'll be missing a couple players because of concussion protocols. Those being players right near the top of their list alphabetically in Marcus Adams and Callum Achi. Achi was the one injured by Patrick Cripps, and that caused the suspension. Adams was injured pretty late on in a contest and collision that looked like it could have been a lot worse for the Lions. So to just have one player come away from that out is a pretty good outcome. 
thinking about it now, I just realized that because that was a Sunday game and the Lions final two games are Fridays. I don't know what the exact timing is in terms of, you know, things being on the certain data when they're able to be active. But I guess then there is potential based on when the players enter concussion protocols for them to have to miss round 23 hosting Melbourne as well. In terms of who could come into the lineup for the Lions, Mitch Robinson was the medical sub last round. Ethan, I know you liked him in that role, but there's definitely potential for Robinson to go straight into the 22. As for Adams, we've seen Ryan Lester and Jack Payne at the AFL level this season. You can see either one of them slotting in there. I still think this is a matchup that bodes well for the Lions simply because St. Kilda is not at full strength. Even if Marshall one-ups McInerney, I don't think it's going to be as pronounced a mismatch as it could be if you had both Marshall and Ryder. And I think Gardner can do enough to make sure Max King doesn't absolutely dominate. Between Gardner and Harris Andrews, I'd say they're still all right, probably, facing King. The question is, how are they going to balance matchups between King and Tim Membry? If the Saints have a path to victory, it's really got to be between those two. But I just don't think St. Kilda's defense will be able to hold up. Dougal Howard and Callum Wilkie will have to play out of their minds in order to match up with Brisbane's forward line. And I just don't see that happening. Dan McStay getting back into good form this past round was big for the Lions, kicking four straight on 16 disposals. Watch for him to have a second big week in a row. Lions are favored by nine and a half. I'd be willing to bet a little further on this, maybe out toward three or four goals. I would as well. I'd say somewhere around 16 to 17 points would be a fair line. I will say this, though. Sebastian Ross was nearly silent against Geelong. I think he bounces back with a better game. You know, this is a very Melbourne-heavy round with three games at Marvel, two at the G, and unsurprisingly, as it's so late in the season, this is a very rematch-heavy round. Six of the nine matchups are rematches, including the first of the Saturday slate, in which the Western Bulldogs play host to GWS. That is the second of the three games at Marvel Stadium, and it'll be in your traditional early Saturday afternoon slot, so if you're in the U.S., Friday night, 8.45 p.m. on the West Coast, 11.45 p.m. on the East Coast, and it's at 1.45 Australian Eastern Standard Time. TV in the U.S. for this one, Fox Soccer Plus. For the Bulldogs, it's all 10s, and I'm not meaning perfect 10s. I mean they're 10 and 10 and in 10th place. Having said that, they have one of the easier schedules of the teams that are searching for those final couple spots in the finals between the Giants and then the Hawks next week out in Tasmania. Yes, the Hawks tend to lift out there, but I like the matchup for them. And I do like this matchup for them as well, even though the Giants played a whole lot better this past round, picking up their sixth win of the year against Essendon. Back in round 14, when these teams matched up at the Sydney Showground, I'm pretty sure I've described the game to you as no defense need apply. Both teams went over 100 points It was an extremely offense-heavy game, a relatively accurate game, and the Bulldogs ended up winning 125-105. to That was the game where Cody Waitman dislocated his shoulder and kept on playing. The Dogs have won four straight home and away meetings, but during that streak, the Giants did win the most important matchup, the second elimination final in 2019. There may be some changes in order for the Dogs this week, Unfortunately, Buku Kamis was concussed playing in VFL last week. Also of note, Ryan Gardner and Jason Johannesson, both questionable. 
While they've got some guys with Footscray that have really started to force the issue, Josh Shackey with a seven-goal performance last week, Lockie Hunter with three on 31 disposals. Considering how flat they looked as a team in the loss to Fremantle, I would not be surprised if Luke Beveridge makes a whole host of changes here. I do think, though, that those changes will largely be in the forward third for them, which isn't a surprise when you take a look at what kind of a list the dogs have between depth they already have in the midfield. Josh Dunkley with a particularly strong game this past round. And also, not only with Buku's injury probably saving some spots in the back, but also how good Sam Darcy looked in his first contest at AFL level. On the Giants' side, we have seen the last of Toby Green for the season, not because of a suspension, but because he suffered a thumb injury before round 21 against Essendon. I believe he suffered it during warm-ups. Still played and looked pretty decent, all things considered, but they'll be without him. Also, it'll be a second straight week without Tim Taranto because he didn't enter concussion protocols until last Friday. Speaking of concussions, James Peatling suffered one last week, ended up getting subbed out for Tanner Brune, who could easily slot in. This also may open up an opportunity for Callum Brown. I really hope they let him play forward where he belongs. I have a feeling they won't, but there's an opportunity there if Toby's out where you can slide him up there. I was thinking that would be a very natural place to put him. You know, you can't have a straight-on replacement for the player that puts the most asses in seats at the Sydney showground, even though... They aren't many asses. But that forward spot is where Brown has flourished when he's actually had the time there. Four goals in the rain is no joke. He's fast. He's a great kick. He's got a soccer background that really helps him. And that's where he belongs. Bulldogs favored for this one by 27 and a half, which seems appropriate. I don't expect the Giants to really come out swinging in this game. I think last week was nice. I would love to see them do it again and make things interesting because, again, I like drama. Drama! And the Giants have been basically devoid of any drama all year. They have not played a single down-to-the-wire game. I guess the closest thing to a really exciting game for them was their trip to Brisbane because... The score of that Collingwood game implies it was closer than it was. That Brisbane game, though, they jumped out to a big lead. The Lions took over pretty early in the second half, but GWS kind of pushed them the whole way. I also think it would be really fun if this game takes on a completely different identity than the first one, but I don't expect that to happen. I just don't think the GWS defense is good enough, and I don't know if the Bulldogs defense is good enough to make a stand like that either. Maybe we'll be in for another slugfest then. Who knows? I think we're much more likely to see a slugfest in that game than we are with the game that I'll be watching and focusing on in that time window. Adelaide and North Melbourne out at the Adelaide Oval. If there's a lot of scoring, I think it's probably going to be more one-way traffic for the Crows. That game will get started at 1.40 p.m. local time in Adelaide, so that's 2.10 p.m. in the eastern states of Australia. For American viewers, 12.10 a.m. Eastern in the first minutes of Saturday, August 13th. 9.10 p.m. Pacific on Friday, August 12th. This will be the early game that's on Fox Sports 2. I honestly prefer the Bulldogs and Giants game over this one, but it's what we got. I think usually Fox Sports 2 goes with that 9.10 game instead of that 8.45 game. I've seen them switch things around sometimes. The Crows come in at 7-13. They're in 15th, but hey, they're on a two-game win streak. They ended up coming out on top over the Eagles as they spoiled Josh Kennedy's finale this past weekend. 
They didn't beat the Eagles. They beat Josh Kennedy and 21 other guys. Meanwhile, North, you know the deal with them. They're 2-18. and 18. They are in dead last. Put on a more inspired performance this past week in front of their 1996 Premiership team. But we're still no match for the Sydney Swans. Still, it was the sort of performance that you'd at least hope to see out of them, you know? Competitive for a couple quarters. Stayed in it until pretty late in the third. Nick Larky kicking a huge bag again. I asked on our recap, and I'm going to ask again, can he ever have just a decent game? You know, a game where the ball isn't coming to him all the time, but he can still get you maybe three goals. I'd like to see that out of him this week or next week. He's got two games left to do it. I'd like to see him do that because you got to be able to produce when chances aren't coming your way. There were a decent amount of chances for North in the game they played against the Crows out at Bluntstone Arena outside Hobart in round 15, but the Crows firmly held control of that one pretty much the entire way, winning by 57 points, just missing out on a double up by a single point. The Crows will be without Will Hamill. He'll be in concussion protocols after his head got hit pretty damn violently when Jack Darling came into a barking contest. It was one of the nastiest-looking concussions of the season for sure. Additionally, Josh Rochelle had hip soreness after the sample game, so we may not see him again. We may not see him for the rest of the season at this point, unfortunately. I mean, there's only two games left. It's that fun part of the season, and this happens in any sport, where, you know, out for the rest of the season can come with a pretty minor injury. Tom Duday's injury isn't as minor because he's missed a couple games now with shoulder and finger issues. He could be back for this one, but where do you fit him into things? Josh Worrell showed pretty well these past two rounds. Looking further forward, there's a potential return for Riley Philthorpe and a spattering of other Sandful performers from whom they could choose as well. I think every week we say that they had a bunch of big Sandful performers. I don't know if that means Matthew Nix isn't picking the right guys or just that kind of the guys who sit in that, like, you know, between like the 25th and 40th best players on their list are better than the 25th to 40th players on a lot of lists, or if it's just the Sandfall competition isn't as good as the VFL competition. I don't know what to make of that. For North, I'm kind of surprised that Ben McKay is probable. I mean, I thought that he would want to be at the G for that game rather than in a game that doesn't matter at all at the Adelaide Oval. I mean, there's going to be a gap of a couple hours between the games. If they have like a motorcade for him, to get him to the airport and have a private jet ready, he could do both. I think he'd just probably be gassed by the end of it because he's probably going to draw the Taylor Walker matchup. Walker, by the way, was pretty quiet last week. He doesn't usually have multiple quiet games in a row. Tom Barris did a very good job on him, but Walker not being prominent allowed Darcy Fogarty to be the focal guy for Adelaide in their forward attack. So multiple tough matchups there for the North defenders once again. In terms of other potential ends, there's a chance for Taron Thomas to finally return. Now with peroxide blonde hair, I guess it's the end thing in AFL hairstyling. I guess it's the style of the time. So I tied an onion to my belt, which was the style at the time. And Jackson Archer should play this week coming back from a hip injury, but at what level? The big news, though, for North Selection is that for the first time this season, Ben Cunnington will be in at the AFL level. He came back in the VFL last round, delayed by a week because of COVID protocols. And of course, he got the first clearance. It was hard to find a reason to watch this game. Ben Cunnington is the reason by Hoobastank. <laughs> what a band's name. The Crows are favored by 31 and a half. 
makes sense considering not only the play they've had recently, but what they did in round 15. The sort of almost standalone middle game on Saturday is one of the three matchups that hasn't already been played yet this year. And if it wasn't for injuries, this would scream trap game as Geelong put their 11 game winning streak on the line. They head up to Metricon Stadium to face Gold Coast. These teams did play in the community series when the Cats lost by, I think it was like 15, but they weren't playing anywhere near a full team. The Suns were. The one thing from that game that's really held up is that Mavi Orchola is having a damn good year, and I look forward to seeing him matched up against someone like Sam DeConing. It's clear that Chola's put on a lot of muscle these past couple years. I remember him looking a lot slimmer when he was at Richmond, at least in 2020. Kind of the more prototypical South Sudanese body type. He's definitely bulked up. This will be a Fox Soccer Plus broadcast for American viewers, and it'll bounce at 2.35 a.m. Eastern on the 13th, 11.35 p.m. Pacific on the 12th. For those of us in the United States, in Australia, it's a 4.35 p.m. local bounce in Queensland. The Suns enter at 9 and 11. They sit in 11th. The Cats 16 and 4. They're alone in first. And with Collingwood being the only team that's within a game, they just need one win in their final two games or one Collingwood loss in their final two to lock up the minor premiership. These teams met in round 10 last year, a 34 point win by the Cats at Cardinia Park that wasn't as close as the score suggested. Overall, the Cats have won five straight meetings, but like I said, this matchup screams trap game, or at least it would if the Suns had any semblance of health defensively. But with where their defense is, with how many guys they're missing, this seems like a tailor-made opportunity for one of Jeremy Cameron or Tom Hawkins to absolutely go off. That didn't really happen last week in the win over St. Kilda. I think one of them is going to find a mismatch and kick at least four or five. But the question is... Who did Geelong actually put in this week? They rested Joel Selwood and Mark Blitzov last time out, and Patrick Dangerfield was laid out with a calf injury. I imagine he'll be good to go. It'll be game 299 for him. We'll put him in line to play his 300th at Cardinia Park. And then there's the question of Gary Rowan. He'll be out of concussion protocols, but will he be selected? I'd keep Brian Myers in over him, and that's not just because we're a little biased. Josh Gavilich did say Myers could be one that comes out. He also said Mark O'Connor, which I think is very possible. I don't know if O'Connor's in the Cats' best 22 right now with how well guys like Zach Guthrie have played. The only time I would really say at this point Mark O'Connor has to be in is for a tagging situation. And while maybe you would want him to tag Toop Miller, it's much more necessary against someone like Lockie Neal, though I guess if O'Connor does play, we know who he should be going to. No relevant short-term injuries for the Gold Coast Suns. It's just a question of some selection. Who's actually going to be there on the back line in particular? Could Oleg Markov find his way in? Rory Thompson is one that we've only seen a few times this season, but I feel like he can be a more natural physical matchup against one of Cameron or Hawkins, as does Michael Whiting on the AFL website. However, he predicts no changes. Cats favored by 21 and a half points, which I'd say makes sense. I wouldn't be surprised if they come out a little flat. If the Suns were healthier, I really think the Suns were going to win this game. And frankly, I've said that there are times where maybe a loss would actually serve the Cats well. I'm obviously 
Not hoping for that to happen, but if it did, in a context where they had some obvious but easily fixable flaws exposed, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. Reminder that they will still, of course, wrap up the minor premiership next week because they've got the Eagles at Cardinia Park, and they tend to thrash them there. Thank you to Anchor by Spotify and all other platforms on which you can hear and are hearing us. Be sure to follow this podcast so you know right away when our new episodes are up. You can also follow us on Twitter at Americans Footy for our real-time thoughts on all the games and whatever other happenings occur in the world of footy. As for our personal Twitter accounts, I'm at BenjaminHK01. I am at Castle Media, and the real star of the show, Brian Harambe, is exclusively on Instagram at CatNamedGrian. Brian has been extremely affectionate to his uncle today. Of course, he will probably forget I exist when you get home. For now, I'm a deadbeat dad. Maybe Herman Hesh should write a book about me. I would like for you not to complain about Siddhartha on the podcast. Worst book I've ever read. I like reading. I found something enjoyable in most books I was assigned for school. Siddhartha was not one of them. How about we talk about something that ought to be enjoyable regardless of what you think about it going into it and something that really won't require any reading either. Melbourne and Carlton face off on Saturday night at the G. The eyes of all but one state will likely be on this game when it bounces at 7.25 p.m. local time. So for American viewers, that'll be 5.25 a.m. Eastern, 2.25 a.m. Pacific. This is one of the rare games that will be on Fox Sports 1 for us here in the States. Melbourne enter at 14-6. and six. They're in third place. They narrowly have the best percentage out of those three teams there with the same record, that being themselves, the Swans, and the Lions in that order. Carlton currently sit at 12-8. and eight. They are in seventh place, but they are by no means in a comfortable spot between ending the season with Melbourne and Collingwood and the fact that they'll now be without Patrick Cripps for both of those games. Not too many changes on the injury front for the D's who have won five straight meetings over the Blues. Seems like almost every year they meet just once, at least in recent history. James Harms was the unused medical sub last week and could get elevated back in, perhaps to take Jaden Hunt's place. Should be far more changes on the horizon for the Blues, who obviously have to replace Patrick Cripps. Also, Matthew Kennedy probably still a week away with his jaw injury. Jack Martin should be available with as he heals up from calf problems. Liam Stalker should be back from concussion protocols, which... I know Blues fans think he's a really good defender. I don't think he's that great. I think he's okay. I think he's definitely better than Lewis Young. In these last few weeks, Lewis Young has gotten exposed. I was surprised to see Riley Beveridge on AFL.com say that Tom DeConing is a possible omission. I would think that having Mark Pittenet back in there, remember he was managed this past week in the loss to the Lions. I would think that would allow DeConing to play more probably forward, but maybe you could slide him back because he's so physical. But I think he's a guy who is more useful outside of the center square than in it. And he has more versatility than Jack Silvani, for example, although Silvani still does certainly bring a lot at full forward, even if his form has not been as strong this past month or so. So it's a weird spot for Carlton in terms of not having the ideal situation at a lot of different spots but having a list crunch all the same. Thinking back to that contest that 
Melbourne and Carlton had last year. Remember, we didn't really think much of Carlton at the time, even though the list was largely the same, really. Melbourne won that meeting by 26 points, and that was Melbourne's final win of their season opening nine game win streak. So maybe there's just something about streaks in this matchup. However, the D's come in having alternated wins and losses the past six weeks. Melbourne favored by 20 and a half for this one. I'd say that's appropriate. I'd maybe push it a couple more points up. Before this week and before Cripps was suspended, I thought this game could have been a real toss up. I'm pretty solidly thinking that Melbourne will come away with this one at this point, and that will do wonders for them in terms of getting themselves closer to a double chance. And with us both expecting them to win, the question then will be what kind of percentage boost do they get? Because at this point, that may be how the top four gets sorted out and maybe even the top two. The difference is these teams kind of fighting that are currently at 14 and six could all kind of surpass each other in percentage, whereas the top couple seems much more set in stone with who's going to have the upper hand percentage wise. It's a matter of getting level with Collingwood, and we're going to be focusing on Collingwood a couple games from now. But before then, we'll be focusing on a team that still definitely has the top four in its sights, especially after another solid win in Victoria this past round. And I'm talking about Fremantle because they'll be hosting Western Derby 55 at Optus Stadium, of course, a 5.40 p.m. bounce in Perth, Burswood technically, So that's 7.40 p.m. along Australia's Pacific Seaboard. For American viewers, 5.40 a.m. Eastern, 2.40 a.m. Pacific. A Fox Soccer Plus game there. Look out, Dockers. There's rain in the forecast. Oh, shit. Actually, there's also rain forecasts for Melbourne like all week. Yeah, I'd be much more concerned about Fremantle in the rain than any other team. Fremantle enter at 13-6-1. They're in sixth. But thinking back to rounds 9 and 10... When the rain came down first on the Gold Coast and then in the West, they lost by six goals in those consecutive weeks, first to the Suns and then to the Pies. However, these are the West Coast Eagles they're facing and the post-Josh Kennedy West Coast Eagles. They're 2-18 and 18 in 17th. The Eagles do lead the overall series by 10, 32-22, but Frio have won the last two and they're looking for their first season sweep since 2014. Back in round three, it was a 55-point drubbing in the Eagles' home Western Derby. I remember just how flat and lifeless that game felt. Like It did not have the rivalry energy that you would expect out of the team that's typically number two in the market, putting a whooping on number one. There was much more energy last year when the Dockers ended West Coast's 11-game Western Derby winning streak. I remember seeing that game as... The beginning of the end for this Eagles era. That was the game that sunk their chances of making finals. That Caleb Sarong goal of the year, as amazing as it was to watch, just felt like a knife straight to the heart as an Eagles fan. Honestly, the first Western Derby this year, I can't think of too many things that have been like that lifeless on that sort of stage. The thing that comes to mind is actually a college basketball game played in late 2018 when USF went over to Cal and they only won by like 17 or 19, but led by as much as 29. Like normally for USF to go into Haas Pavilion and beat up Cal would be a big deal. But this Cal team was so bad and so lifeless. This was the end of the White King Jones experiment. I remember this game. I think it was 
a weeknight game too, which certainly didn't help with attendance. Yeah, it was it was like a Wednesday night. The Straw Hat Band wasn't there. The highlight of that game was our friend Frankie Ferrari, who was point guard on that San Francisco Dons team, reaching into a fan's popcorn as he slid under the basket. Nobody for Frio ate popcorn in that round three game. Is it time for them to make like Terrell Owens said, get their popcorn ready for another big scoring day? They had the right blueprint last round against the Bulldogs with kind of doing what other teams did against them in prioritizing the first uncontested mark they see, chipping their way up the field and then getting the numbers right that way. I wouldn't be shocked if Rio tries to up the tempo in this one to expose the defensive misgivings in the Eagles midfield. It's funny because I actually think Frio's forward pressure won't do as much against the Eagles defenders. But yeah, if you could up that pressure on the midfield, that's probably where they could take over. You know, I trust the Eagles ball handlers to move the ball out of the back. I don't trust them to get it through the middle of the field. I don't trust like that. Now, in terms of the Dockers forward group, Matt Tabiner has a calf injury. He's expected to be ready for finals but will not be playing in this one and probably not next week out in the ACT. Nat Fife may be just a week away from coming back from his hamstring injury, but Sam Switkowski may come back from his back ailment and play for the first time in nine weeks. And I assume Bailey Banfield makes his way back in. I can't see him being omitted for two weeks in a row. Nathan Schmook on the AFL's In the Mix article expects Banfield to be in with Darcy Tucker to be the sub. I'm just wondering, how the hell do you make room for Lloyd Meek? Because I think he could be a really natural selection with Tabiter going down. He could also feature as a second ruck option, stronger than Griffin Logue there, I'd say. And you know what? Maybe it would be good to have another person that could just take those contests and keep Rory Lobb out of them, because it looks like he's still carrying something with his shoulder. I would just like to see this be a competitive game. I think of the non-Victorian rivalries, I think showdown's the most fun of them. But I would put this one next, even though the Sydney Derby has had some great games as of late. And I just want this to be a good game. It's more fun when these sorts of matchups are tight, competitive games. I'd love to see Optus Stadium absolutely packed for this one. I would think it's going to be a pretty good turnout. A pretty good purple turnout. I'm sure the Eagles fans will show up to some extent just because they have such a large following altogether. We're going to do a little role reversal here. I'm giving the Eagles injury report. Tim Kelly obviously out after his suspension was upheld. Sounds like there's a chance for Jack Petrocelli and Elliot Yo to play next round, but is it worth it to try to get them back up at this point in this season when you could just play the young guys? Especially for Elliot Glass Body Yo. I used the glass bones and paper skin soundbite on Tabiter this past round, but it's more fitting for Yo. Speaking of young guys, Isaiah Winder could be one to get back in there. He certainly deserves it. He's been one of the brighter spots of that young group for the Eagles, and there are certainly openings available. What with no more Josh Kennedy, Tim Kelly out. It's time to let the kids play. Give them a taste of a real rivalry and see what they can do with it. Fremantle are favored by 34 and a half. I might even push it a little further. I just don't expect it to be much lower than where the line is as we see it now on Bovada. The Eagles could try to make it close for maybe three quarters, but I highly doubt they'd be able to put anything close to a four quarter effort together. 
taking that next step from three solid quarters to four looks like something that is beyond their capabilities for this season. I think they could at least compete for a while, though, considering the significance of this game. I hope that pure adrenaline and the rivalry factor becomes a thing, simply because I'm, like I said, in favor of these sorts of rivalry games being fun and good. And it's not fun when a game like this is so one-sided. We saw it with the Sydney Derby a couple weeks ago. For any of us that aren't a dedicated fan of one of these two teams, we just want to be entertained. Because just like you, we care. Thanks, Basil. Of the three games on Sunday, the middle one is definitely the juiciest matchup. However, I think there's really a lot of intrigue in the first of the three as well. Richmond and Hawthorne at the G. What with Richmond currently sitting in eighth at 11-8-1 and Hawthorne still building, but also now knowing that this is going to be Ben McAvoy's penultimate game, that they're going to definitely have that extra motivation there. Hawks are sitting in 13th at 8-12. They've won four of five now. They're winning the games that you'd expect them to win at this stage of their rebuild. And they played Richmond close last time for a lot of the game back in round nine, the Hawks home game at the G when the Tigers won by 23. This one gets underway in your typical early Sunday slot, 1.10 p.m. at the MCG. So it'll still be Saturday in the U.S. when this one gets underway. 11.10 p.m. Eastern Time, 8.10 p.m. Pacific Time, and it'll be on Fox Soccer Plus. We can see a very different look for the Tigers than we saw this past round because of Nick Flostone being questionable. He got Charlie Dixon's knee to his ribs. There's no one clear replacement for him. But Richmond are also a team that are capable of moving a lot of players into different spots and still having a really good scheme overall. So is it a question of just next best guy up? If so, does Yvonne Soldo come back in? Do we see Shane Edwards going after being managed last game? Apparently he had some soreness, but him being managed also allowed for both Josh Gipkis and Morris Rioli Jr. to be in. And both of them, particularly the latter, were important factors in their 38-point win at Port Adelaide. I know, Ethan, that you want to see Hugo Ralph Smith in this one. I'm not sure if he'd be able to fit in over those other two guys that I mentioned. But if you want a player who could really run and try to counter Hawthorne's speed, he could be a good guy for that. I just don't know if his form lately is going to merit him getting back in there anytime soon. I hope it does because I find him to be a really fun player to watch. But if the Tigers choose to really set their sights on next season for him, I would understand and I wouldn't be too mad about it. As for Hawthorne, like we said, two games left for Ben McAvoy. Josh Morris recovering from a dislocated shoulder. He could also be available. You know, the Tigers are favored for this game by 19 and a half. But I think if it gets to that, it's going to be because they pull away late. Remember, Hawthorne have played really well this year against good teams. They beat Brisbane. They beat Geelong. They gave Collingwood a good game. They gave Melbourne a good game when the D's were at their best. They gave Fremantle a tough game. That Carlton game in round three, I still struggle to wrap my head around with how much of a tale of two halves that was. That one point loss for the Hawks consistently this year. They've played up to the level of competition, and they've rarely stooped down to a lower team's level. Individuals that I really want to watch for in this game for Hawthorne, I was so impressed with Josh Ward and Connor Nash, both of their performances lately. So 
I look forward to seeing how they close the season out. I want to really focus in on Jai Sarong because you were the one that really took charge of Hawthorne's game this past round against Gold Coast. So this will be my first time really watching a game in which Jai plays closely. It'll probably be fun seeing how he compares to his brother Caleb in certain spots. And I know I'm certainly going to be paying attention to Finn McGinnis. I wouldn't be shocked if he would go to Dion Prestia, who we haven't seen had a hard tag on him for much of the season. But at stoppages, he's one of the very best in the business. And having someone like McGinnis on him there could force Richmond to take some other avenues at stoppages. And I'm not sure how exactly they'd fare at that. That's also where the effect of not having Dustin Martin comes in. It's a lot easier to choose to tag someone like Prestia when someone like Dusty isn't taking up so much of the attention. Trent Cotchin has had a good run as of late. I'm just not sure how much he'll be able to hold up for weeks on end, especially if he does have to have more of a featuring role. The more I talk about this game, the more excited I am about it, and the more I hope that I'll be back at my hotel in time to see this game really in its full capacity, because this could be really fun. I guess I did my job then, Ethan. I wanted to hype this one up. Not, you know, like crazy Flavor Flav style hype. I just don't think I have a good yeah boy. Not really looking at doing like Lil John type hype man stuff. Okay! I just hope that this retains people's interest even when the middle game starts for the variety of reasons we talked about, as well as others that will probably come up during the game. However, that middle game is massive, and it's one that I've been looking forward to for weeks because I expected both teams to be on pretty big winning streaks heading into it. It's one that needs no hype, doesn't need anyone telling you why it's an important game. It's Collingwood and Sydney at the SCG. It's your mid-afternoon Sunday game. That means 3.20 p.m. in New South Wales. If you're on the East Coast of the United States, 1.20 a.m. Sunday. And if you're on the West Coast, 10.20 p.m. on Saturday. Good news for Americans who don't have Watch AFL. Fox Sports 2 will be showing it. Fox Sports 2 has carried a lot of the Sunday footy on seven games recently. And I'm glad they have because they've done a good job at scheduling big games in those spots. And Collingwood will be in that slot for the final two weeks of the season because... For those of you that are new to this, as I've said before, the Brazilian soccer rivalry between Flamenco and Fluminense, I think it's really funny if they call it Fla-Flu. So in turn, we call it Carcol or Colcar, depending on who the, quote, home team is. But we're still a week away from that, and going to the SCG is no small task. The Swans are at 14-6. and six. They're in fourth in the middle of those three teams there on percentage. Higher than Melbourne, lower than Brisbane, but we can see things be radically different after this round. Collingwood, their percentage is nothing to look at, but they're on an 11-game win streak, and they'll probably get away with it again. I think their percentage is something to look at because it tells a lot about this team. They're able to grind out those close wins. 10 of their 15 wins, they're 15 and 5, are by two goals or less. It's amazing to think how differently we viewed Collingwood last year. It was clear that Nathan Buckley's time as coach was drawing to an end, and the Swans beat him by five clean goals in round nine of 2021. The most dangerous thing for Collingwood right now is their stupidity. And I don't mean that they're stupid in how they play. They play a very smart game. The win over Melbourne was such an excellent game plan. They were so disciplined. 
They kept the ball on the ground and away from Stephen May and Jake Lever's marking contest. Neither of them took a mark inside the defensive 50 for the entire game. When I say they're stupid, I mean that they're too dumb to know that they're supposed to lose. And that's a really (laughs) terrifying thing. When a team gets into this mode where they don't know how to lose, they just keep finding a way. It defies logic. They're basically just winning off sheer vibes at this point. And we're both going to believe in it so long as it lasts because it's been pretty incredible. And I'm not going to doubt it. Really no new injury news for the Swans. The only news on their front is just the Josh P. Kennedy situation. For Collingwood, we hinted earlier that Brody Grundy is done for the year because of an ankle injury. Though it sounds like Will Hoskin Elliott and Brody Majacek could be able to play, both dealing with hip injuries. You know, obviously losing Grundy is not ideal. They've been getting beaten pretty handily in hitouts and usually in clearances as well. But that combination of Darcy Cameron and Mason Cox has produced pretty well overall. And we've both seen multiple Collingwood fans comment that as much as it sucks to lose Grundy, having nothing to impede September Mason Cox from getting in the lineup is definitely a good thing. He just takes his game to a new level come finals time. And this is a finals adjacent game. No other hype needed. We're definitely going to be parsing through this matchup a lot. Hopefully we will have enough energy toward the end of our recording of our round 22 recap to really dive into this game in full, because regardless of how Collingwood wins, it will be something to look at. Sydney are favored by 14 and a half, though. I see this game either ending in yet another close Collingwood win or the Swans just throttle them. The third and far less likely outcome is one where Collingwood just kind of run out of gas in the fourth quarter and the Swans end up pulling away and win by like 20, but I don't see that happening. I think there is a chance that Sydney's midfield just overwhelms Collingwood. Sydney's forwards really put the heat on the Pies defense and they just have no answer for that constant barrage between Papley, Warner, Heaney, Franklin, but I'm not doubting Collingwood right now and you shouldn't either. I'll obviously be wanting to put a lot of attention towards Sydney and Collingwood, but with the way we scheduled things, I'll be the one to take the lead on Richmond and Hawthorne and the closer for the round, Essendon and Port Adelaide. That's the third and final game of the round that'll be at Marvel Stadium at the normal 4.40 p.m. start over there. So that'll be 4.10 p.m. for viewers in South Australia. In the United States, 2.40 a.m. Eastern, early on Sunday the 14th, 11.40 p.m. Pacific, late Saturday the 13th on Fox Soccer Plus. Essendon entered 7-13, they're in 14th. They really regressed to a lot of what we saw a couple months ago last round, where they largely looked lifeless against Greater Western Sydney, especially in the second half. You can see just how much Jake Stringer matters to them because he only kicked three behinds, and no one could really step up to mitigate the impact of his misses. Porter coming off a pretty deflating loss as well, at home against Richmond, they are sitting in 12th at 8 and 12. The first game between these two this season, back in round 11 at the Adelaide Oval, was an interesting watch as well, though it was undoubtedly overshadowed by Collingwood and Carlton. Essendon put on a pretty good comeback in the rain, though they did still fall short by 16. Port have won four straight meetings between themselves and the Bombers. I mostly remember that game for having maybe the most ugly and boring fourth quarter ever, but 
I usually think it's appealing when these two teams get together because they're two teams that you know have passionate fan bases. There's a lot of emotion involved. It may not be a rivalry, but it's two teams that you can just see how they can butt heads with each other. And I think that's fun. And I think in a situation where neither team has any finals hopes, that's especially good from an entertainment value standpoint. I also remember this matchup in 2020 gifting us a couple really special plays from Charlie Dixon. The other thing that I think this game could be is it could really serve as a referendum on Ken Hinckley. We'll see if the players get up for this one. They weren't too into it last week against Richmond. It would be almost impossible for them to not get up for showdown in round 23. So I think Port Adelaide's effort this game and their body language will tell us a lot about what they think about their coach. As it didn't have a number of injuries to their first-rate players, Jai Caldwell is dealing with a calf injury. Dylan Scheel has that continuing hamstring problem. They're both unlikely to play. We know that Will Snelling will be out with his own hamstring injury. We saw that news reported by Mitch Cleary just before we started recording this one. For reference, we're recording this in the very early hours of Wednesday morning in America, so Wednesday evening in Australia. There's also potential for Michael Hurley to at last make his return to the AFL. He's had a long road back, and he's due a game or two. We don't know how much longer he may play after this, so it'd be great for him to get back in at least once in Victoria. Dejan Kalinic, I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly, thinks that Harrison Jones could get omitted. I'm a big fan of Harry Jones, but he has definitely slipped a bit in form as of late. Next year is going to be the referendum for him and for a lot of Essendon because that's what year three for a coach tends to be. On the Port Adelaide side, Tom Clurry had his knee cleaned up again, so he's probably done for the year. Lockie Jones is definitely done for the year, even though, as I said earlier, done for the year is just two games. He underwent hamstring surgery. He has signed on, though, for two more years, so we will see his magnificent hair again in teal, silver, and black and white. In the song, it's silver, teal, black and white, but I'll allow it. Todd Marshall will be out of COVID protocols. And Mitch Georgiatis is a possibility to be re-included after kicking two goals and two behinds in the sandful. I'm starting to think Port Adelaide just isn't the right place for Georgiatis, and he needs a change of scenery to really figure himself out. Although, at the same time, he does play really well off of Charlie Dixon, but I wonder what other club would maybe be like a good spot for him. Well, it's important to note here that Georgiatis grew up in Western Australia. His dad, John, did play for Footscray, but Mitch played for Subiaco in the Waffle, so maybe the Eagles should go calling. Thinking about just where Port Adelaide is in general, they have a lot of options, but I'm not sure like how you'd want to fit things in. I feel like you have to kind of construct this list from the 50s in toward the center, because then you figure out, okay... Is there still space for a pure Ruckman like Bring Teakle, or will he get squeezed out and they'll just have Dixon Finlayson take on Sam Draper? I think you kind of have to have one against Draper, and I think this is a great opportunity for Teakle to get more reps there. I can see Dixon being a fun physical matchup as well, but I agree. I feel like Teakle would be a necessary in. Essendon are favored by two and a half, but I feel like a line that's that slim could definitely change based on 
what is announced in terms of each team's list. Ethan, are you surprised by the fact that Essendon is favored? Because I kind of am, even though it's in Victoria. I am incredibly surprised. I would have thought Port Adelaide would have been a favorite by, I don't know, five points, something like that. I would take Port Adelaide on the money line here. I'm not sure which way I would go with this, so maybe the oddsmakers did a good job at constructing the line to be this puzzling for us. That's going to just about do it for this round 22 preview. Even if there are a good number of games that won't impact the finals race, each of them has something compelling that makes me want to watch them. Thank you, Ben Cunnington. Yeah, there would have been a really easy game to skip if not for him, but we've got that. Plus, don't ignore the possible Taron Thomas redemption arc. I hope he comes out of his personal struggles and plays a good game. The other thing I will touch on with that North Melbourne Adelaide game, which is definitely not a game I thought we'd be talking about outside of the little capsule preview of it. That's the sort of game where you just go in hoping to learn about someone you hadn't really thought of before. If someone under the radar puts up a good performance, yeah, that's kind of a building block, and that's something that you can take away from a game like that. I think we can definitely see that out of Essendon and Port as well. And now that we know, based on Recent reports that Seven have gotten that Chankwath Jaff and that Chankwath Jaff and Mitch Lewis are out for Hawthorne. Maybe they'll have another new face be even more prominent, though. We have parsed through their list a decent amount with just how many players have ha- have stepped up for a game or two there. I mentioned Nash and Ward while we were looking through that game. I think it's a lot of it also, maybe one of the reasons that I've been so high on Hawthorne throughout this year is just I've thought very little about them over the prior two seasons. And because we do this show, it's had me think about them more and watch them more carefully and starting to just kind of appreciate some of the talent they've gotten. If they do end up over the next few years really building a contender, we can say we saw it first. Of course, at the end of it all, though, my attention turns to those couple key matchups within the eight. Melbourne Carlton. How are the Blues going to be able to manage physically in the middle without Crips? And how can Collingwood do it again against Sydney? We'll talk about all that and more as it happens at Americans Footy on Twitter. And we'll also talk about it, of course, right back here with episode maybe 54, maybe 55, our round 22 recap. We don't know about the number just yet because who knows how much list changes could cause us to hop on here once again. You can personally follow me on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. You can find me on Twitter at Castle Media, where you'll soon be inundated with a lot of high school sports information. I know that a lot of Australians are like fascinated by the concept of high school sports because it's a uniquely American thing. So check in there if you want to learn about it. And you can find the real star of the show, Brian Harambe, exclusively on Instagram at Cat Named Brian. Thank you once again for tuning in. 